I believe the new age is an old lie Coming from the father of deceivers The enemy of souls is using every while To blind the eyes of even the believers Surely time has come for us to take a stand And hold to our convictions without shame Opposers to the faith abound on every hand But the gospel must be fearlessly proclaimed. I believe that Jesus is the Holy Son of God. He came to earth and he lived a perfect life. I believe he bled and died upon a cruel cross and there he the perfect sacrifice I believe he rose again and that he lives today and soon he's coming back to earth again more than just a creed this is what I Jesus is the only way. This is my statement of faith. I believe the Bible is the Word of God given to the world to show. No room for compromise on its trustworthiness. It's here for us to follow and obey. There are absolutes that cannot be denied. And what is true forever shall remain. My choice to live for Christ the crucified, the living one who is the only way. I believe that Jesus is the Holy Son of God. He came to earth and he lived a perfect life. I believe he bled and died upon a cruel cross, and there he made the perfect sacrifice. I believe he rose again, and that he
recorded 23 years ago as an outtake for a CD my family and I put together. Welcome to Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth. I'm your host, Scott Cates, coming to you live from the Northeast Georgia mountains and the tiny town of Tiger, where today it's a little overcast, but yet sometimes it's sunny, it's just hot. Summer has arrived. I'm not telling you something that you don't already know for the crazy storms that have come through, the high winds and the tornadoes and the hail and everything else. I'm telling you, it's been interesting, uh, especially since the last month. Temperatures in many places have been down and low. Crazy weather patterns. But uh, that's nothing new, I don't think. Uh, We have a crazy nation for a lot of different reasons. So welcome to today's version of the July 4th celebration for Grounded today. We're, it's a special podcast today talking about our founding fathers. Let me just tell you about the song that was up front, Statement of Faith. That is really what we should stick to. Yes, it was recorded 23 years ago. It was basically an outtake. It wasn't even finished up really well. Uh, so, but I put it on the podcast today. I'd sung it a couple of Sundays ago and, uh, some folks had, um, asked, where do we get that? So we put it on the podcast today, just the outtake there. Uh, but the message behind it is powerful because what you'll find at the heart of it as well as the heart of our founders and really those who began this nation, the patriots of the day, what you'll discover is that that is the core of who they were. Those very basic principles, yes, they have been. It's important that you understand that our founding fathers, and I actually went on a pilgrimage a number of years ago to the nation's capital just to see for myself. I wanted to see 
how this nation was founded because of the fact that at that time, probably 10, 12 years ago, the media even at that time was sort of blowing off the fact that our founding fathers and our framers were people that just, you know, they didn't, some of them didn't believe, they got a bad rap. We take a look at Thomas Jefferson, who gets a horrible rap uh, today, uh, really out of an article based out of the New York Times that came out at the same time that Bill Clinton was having his issues. Uh, They put up that that Thomas Jefferson uh, had done a number of things and that he wasn't truly a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you why that's not the case. Then you hear about Ben Franklin from time to time about he was a deist. And then they take a quote out of the middle of a huge quote from Ben Franklin about Christianity. And they take a quote right out of the middle that basically he says, if it didn't exist, but they take that quote right out of the middle of that. And they say he was a deist. He didn't believe, but I'll show you in the fact that he actually did. He was actually raised in a family to become a minister, but um, his father could not afford to send him to school to be that, so he became who he was. You're going to look at some of our founders, and you're going to discover maybe some things today that you never knew. And so hopefully today, out of some of the quotes from our founding fathers and the framers of of our government, you understand what their purpose was and what their principle was What made them patriots and the reason why they had to be so? First of all, in order to do that, you've got to understand that you cannot interpret history based on the culture of today. One more time, you cannot interpret history based on the culture of today. You must look at the culture of that day. Because many will say, well, you don't ever hardly see George Washington mention the name of actually God or Jesus Christ. You actually do. But the reality is, is you hear, you hear him say the divine creator, and you hear him say the almighty, and you hear him say the divine providence, and you hear him say all of these words like that. But you must understand that these men came out of the idea of royalty. They served a king. And because they served a king, and they knew what it was like to bow to royalty, You never stood in the presence of royalty or even the representatives of the king and called him King George. You just never did do that. You didn't just call him King George, not to his face. That when he came into a room or his representative, the reference would be something like his highness. And so there was great respect, and there's a great respect for God. So when they use these words to describe God, they do so because they would never take ever a nonchalant, relaxed idea of God Almighty or Jesus Christ. They held him in such high regard. That's important for you and I to understand because so many people will say, well, they didn't truly believe, or they, they, he hardly ever mentions the name. They, I hear it all the time. People choose to believe what they want to. But let's hear from some of the men. First of all, let's just talk about what the culture was like of that day prior to the revolution. First of all, English soldiers that were in the United States Pretty much, if they ever did anything, and they did multiple things, they would attack families at times, they would 
take advantage of, of their position being an English soldier. And then when it came time for them to be tried, they would jump on a ship real quick and end up going overseas or never, ever saw any punishment for some of the things that they did. It's amazing. The Boston Massacre, when it took place, it's really amazing that those men were able to be uh, freed of their charges. Uh, Actually, it's amazing that those men were tried here and they were allowed to be tried here. And what most people don't know is that John Adams was the lawyer that defended the soldiers of the Boston Massacre who fired into the crowd, and they actually were set free based on John Adams, his ability to, um, he was a fantastic lawyer, which would make it amazing to me that John Adams would even be elected to be the president of the United States for for taking that position. It was a difficult position for him to take, but it was right. One thing about those men of that day is they stood for what was right because of the principles that they believed in. So you also need to understand that in that day that you could not print Bibles. It was illegal for you to print Bibles in the colonies. Not until we became a free nation could we even print a Bible in this nation. It was, you couldn't do it in the colonies. And so what you find is after the revolution, you see our founding father, really the first few presidents that are involved and other men. You see men like George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and Ben Franklin give of their own personal funds to print Bibles so that every single American would have a copy of the Word of God in their household. Why? Well, the documents that we had as a nation were important. The Declaration of Independence was important. And the Constitution of the United States was important, and those were documents that every man was given to. At the same, they printed those, they handed those out, they wanted to make sure every citizen had those. But the most important governing document to back up those documents was the Scripture. How does that all work? We have to look at the character of these men to understand why, and that they all agreed on these things. George Washington, in his quote, his quote is one of his most famous quotes is, it's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. But he has so many other quotes about God as well. And here are a couple of them. It says, the perpetuous smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right in which heaven itself has ordained. These men believed actually in the Ten Commandments, and they did, and that those were the rights that heaven had ordained, and for the order that, that heaven had ordained, and because that order was important to them, they knew that by violating those, you would never get the smile of heaven, number one, and number two, you would never have God's favor upon your land. Here's this. Here's another one from George Washington. He said this, without a humble imitation of the characteristics of, of the char- 
Back up. Without a humble imitation of the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, we can never hope to be a happy nation. What he basically is saying here, without the characteristics of God and Jesus Christ in our life, we will never be, in our lives, we will never be a happy nation. He knew that. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, in Columbiana, Alabama, there's a letter that George Washington actually wrote. There's a little museum, George Washington Museum in Columbiana, Alabama. And on display is a letter that he actually wrote. And he said that if this nation ceased to believe in Christ, if basically if this nation ceased to do that, that it would cease to exist within 20 years. So they knew that if you came unhooked, if you unhooked the nation from the Bible and the word of God, that's that's what made it beautiful. And they understood that and they knew that. Here's another quote from him. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail by excluding our religious principles. And here's another one. Providence has at all times been my only independence. For all other resource, all other resources seem to have failed us. He's talking about the providence of God. It's been my only independence. All other resources seem to have failed. Listen to me, folks, today that you need to understand. And we even think in this. We think, actually, in a certain way as well. We try our best to fix any issues that come down the pike in our life, any, any, any way we possibly can. We turn to every single solution, and then we'll stop at a moment and say, well, maybe we should just pray. Well, you know, all we got left to do is pray. Maybe that should have been the first thing that we were doing. George Washington, after his inauguration, he takes Congress and his cabinet and everybody else who's at the inauguration, which was in New York City. We didn't have a capital yet. It wasn't built yet. New York was our capital. And he walks them down the street to St. Paul's Church. He walks into the door, and he's the first one to hit his knees. He begins to pray, and he says, Almighty God, we make our earnest prayer that you will keep the United States in your holy protection, that you will incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government. And they established on that day a covenant with God that this nation would be established under him and his principles at the leading of George Washington. Well, I think that's pretty amazing. Well, there are, (laughs) we look and we see, you know, our founding fathers, they're just amazing men. Um, There are so many things that they have to say uh, according to um, their quotes And going back to really look at them, I think, is important. Um, Understanding, really taking a look. And as John Adams, it says, there is a danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be to trust no man living with the power to endanger the public liberty. One more time. There's danger from all men. He's talking about men. He 
He's talking about literally the inherent inside men. I had someone ask me the other day, don't you believe, don't you believe that all men at the core are good? I absolutely, positively do not. It's completely against Scripture. There's none good, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one that is good. And so Adams knows this because of the Scripture. Adams was a real proponent of Scripture anyway, but he says there's a danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be to trust no man living with the power to endanger the public liberty. Boy, how many times have we done that? How many times have we just sort of kind of caved in and just sort of, you know, fallen, you know, right behind whatever has come down the pike that looked new and fresh and exciting and it endangered public liberty? And what about Thomas Jefferson? What about the one that has has gotten such a bad rap because of the quote-unquote Jefferson Bible, which actually were the morals and teachings of Jesus Christ. And what about him? What exactly was it about him? Here's one of the things that he said. Had the doctrines of Jesus been preached always as pure as they came from his lips, the whole civilized world would now have been Christians. He also said this, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Here's what he said about religion and government. The reason that Christianity is the best friend of government is because Christianity is the only religion that changes the heart. Now that is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson it's such a bad rap about the Jefferson Bible, but folks, to understand the Jefferson Bible, you need to understand he, he took a number of straight edge razors that he kept sharp, and he went in and he cut out the morals, just, just the morals and the teachings of Jesus Christ for a reason. As a matter of fact, he had really at the core of himself, he was meeting oftentimes with the American Indians, and he saw what they were going through, how they were killing themselves in war against each other. And he saw the savagery because there was such savagery. Scalping to him, he thought, was the worst savagery he'd ever known. And it is, if you've ever seen it and what it looks like on what it looked like in those days. It was horrible. And Jefferson saw the savagery behind the men. And his heart broke because they couldn't be freed from that savagery. So he began to start the process of pulling out scriptures. And to make it simple so that they didn't have to interpret everything, but they could just take those principles and it would change their morality and it would remove the savagery from the hearts of those men. Well, he never got finished. And they tucked away all of that and put it in, basically he had tucked away and it was put in a chest and stuck away and his family found it a number of years later. And around the year 1900, Congress was actually in a war with itself. And the family had discovered the really the, the last revision of the, of the morals and teachings of Jesus Christ, what we call the Jefferson, what's nicknamed the Jefferson Bible. And someone took it and they actually printed it. One of the congressmen took it, had it printed, and they handed that out to Congress and told them before the next session that they would meet to go ahead and stop and read these things. And it brought peace to Congress that was at war. 
See, we try to interpret history based on the culture of today, and we look and we can just look in and find one or two things and say, well, that's the way it was, not even close to the way it was. These men honestly and truthfully believed in Jesus Christ. These men believed in the Ten Commandments as well, being extremely important to them. Well, about that time, you have another individual, Ben Franklin, who is on the scene. And Ben Franklin gets a bad rap, called a deist, because in the middle of a statement about Christianity being the most powerful governing force to the heart of men, he says something about the fact if it didn't exist, and and, and in part of that, they take that out of text and context, and they make him a deist. Folks, one of the things in a nation that wants to change its morality and change its foundation is they begin to change its history. But let me read you some things from Benjamin Franklin, who was primed to be a minister, but his father did not have the money to send him to school, so he did not become a minister. But that does not mean that he did not believe in Jesus. Here is what he had to say. At the founding of the United States, here's what he had to say. He said, we have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. He said, I firmly believe this. Another one of his quotes, he says, he who shall introduce into public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity will change the face of of the world. And another one of his quotes. Ben Franklin, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that it is God who governs the affairs of men. Well, we begin to see the first, really the first five presidents are really true men of God. They're really just solid. And so, by the time we get to James Madison, what you hear from James Madison, I think, is really amazing because and in, in framing the government and getting the government actually framed up and ready, he understands what's at the core foundation of the framing of this government. He says this, in framing the government, which is to be administered by men over men, you must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. Bottom line is there's got to be some way to control, really, a man's heart. We've got to be able to govern individually ourselves because the laws themselves without individually governing the hearts of men, well, it just doesn't work. The Constitution of the United States does not work without it. And so here's another quote from him. Here's what he says. James Madison says this. We have staked the whole of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each individual all of us, to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments 
of God. So one more time, he's, they've, we've staked the entire political institution, by the way. The whole thing, he's, what he's saying is the entire foundation is built on the abilities to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot take the basic documents of this nation and remove its people from the Ten Commandments and expect it to work. It will not. The beauty of this nation, George Washington said, the happy hearts have come because the men are governed by God. When they're no longer governed by God, that doesn't happen. When you take the morals and teachings of Jesus Christ away from mankind, guess what returns? Savagery. Savagery returns to the core and the heart of men. And that is exactly what is happening in 2023. The headlines are brutal. And they're not brutal because we now have access all over the place in the United States. They're brutal because more and more and more brutality and savagery is happening in the world or actually in our nation. We see articles about shootings and goodness gracious, a mother who leaves her child in the closet, seven years old, locks her child in the closet and moves away. They find the child in the closet months later decaying. We see an article about a father who's upset with his wife that pulls out his crossbow and while she's holding the child, he fires a bolt through the child. What in the world? Seriously. Come on, folks. Savagery has returned to the hearts of men and the only answer to stop it and the only answer to put the brakes on is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Now, how, since we've literally let all of this out of the gate, does it come back? Well, there's this tendency to think that we'll never return to that because at the heart, men are inherently evil. But folks, listen, when it would, Paul stepped up in Rome, Paul stepped up to, to many of these Greek churches that were there that were involved in some of the very same savagery and things that were going on. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of God that changed it all. And it still does. It's, it still happens that way today. God still changes the hearts of men. And men's hearts can still be governed by God. I know you can look up and say, but technology and but this and but that. Well, I've got news for you. I just looked at an article, not, I mean, this past weekend that talked about the LBGTQ movement that you hear me talking about all the time and how it's losing ground, losing ground like crazy, losing ground for a number of reasons because people are now taking a stand. The number one reason why it's losing ground is because publicly they have said, we're coming after your children. And that, by the way, a study that was done just recently about that specific thing says that is the reason why it's losing ground. That's not the only thing that's losing ground. That actually in the last four to five years, the next thing that's lost ground is the idea of homosexual marriage. The union of two males or two females has lost ground like crazy as well. Not as popular as it once was. And so now what you see is it's been labeled as a trend. 
By the close of the article, it comes down to say the bottom line is if you transition the children in the middle of this trend, you are about to wreak havoc on this nation. What is it? What's causing this? Is it money? I had someone disagree with me the other night because someone asked me, what about this? What is it about this movement? What is it that actually is taking place? And I almost breathed off of my lips. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe there is money in it. And I think maybe they had started in the process to try to say, well, we'll include everyone. I'm not quite sure. But I'm not sure that money is the case. I, I really don't think that. I began to sort of think, what is it really? Is it evil? It is evil. It is evil at the core. <laughs> I remember watching the horror films. <laughs> you know, the old time, the old timey kind, the black and white ones at first. 1987, a movie came out called The Lost Boys about vampires. It's kind of like vampires, actually. It's an evil thirst for blood to transition anyone that's warm-blooded. And so children become prey to this kind of evil. One thing I do know is that if Christians took to sharing the gospel on every level, as hard as this movement pursues its evangelism to their cause, maybe a little bit of difference could be made. I, folks, I don't think we understand that this has a dark, deep spiritual power behind it. And it's not just this movement. I mean, our kids are dying from fentanyl, but it's, there's, a, there's a pursuit after the posterity that's to come. The one thing about our founding fathers is they believed in the posterity. They believed in defending the posterity and handing them a really great life to come. They wanted to make sure that they survived that our posterity survived. This has a deep, dark spiritual power behind it. I don't think we understand. We've got no idea because as American Christians, we don't pray against it most of the time or fight the fights that are needed. And most of the time we don't do it because we say, after all, it's, it's not about me and my family. Yet. Yet. What happens when our children or our grandchildren become sympathetic to the cause? What happens to the next generation when that's the case now right now we're kind of looking at it like it's some kind of unfortunate car wreck maybe that's happened where the people inside survived and we just go about our day until it's too late and then i began to ask the questions why is this are what are we spiritually blinded maybe maybe we're too sedated by our comfort maybe that's the case maybe we're too drunk on our prosperity or could it be that we're just too elitist to even care? Maybe it's D, all of the above, or maybe it's E, none of the above. I'm not trying to throw blame anywhere. I'm just trying to tell you that we've, <laughs> we've never had to battle this kind of darkness in our lifetime ever on this scale. We just have no clue. We're like dumb sheep as the wolf ravages our homes. I remember that, that movie, uh, The Lost Boys, I was telling you about 1987. I remember this one line that basically said, vampires cannot enter a home where they're not invited. <laughs> Yet, the evil that's coming into our homes today, it's in every home, working on every heart for a transition to any kind of evil. Willingly invited with the touch of a screen, the flick of a switch, or a push of a button, folks. And then look at our children. Look at your children. Look at your grandchildren. Watch their eyes. 
as they change, as the brightness behind them goes dark and the lightness of freedom becomes the dark chain of bondage, as each heart and soul is cast into the cold, dark cell of solitary confinement and as death awaits them. You say, preacher, this is depressing. It's just how serious it's become, folks. It's overwhelming every single day. Uh, Once again, the lines move, and then it gets worse, and then it gets more encompassing. It's just heavy. It's heavy. It's a heavy darkness that pursues our nation on every level. And it's not just the movement that I'm telling you about. It's on every single level. So much to the point that you get discouraged and you wonder if you can make a difference and you wonder if it'll ever change, that it's easier just to maybe wait and hope for a change. I don't know. But the whole point, I think, is to make your enemy feel like they're going to lose. And so all of the loud volume that you hear coming from all over the place, all the loud propaganda, it's just an illusion. It's, filled, it's an illusion that's filled with extremely powerful propaganda, really. And it's all designed to keep believers from becoming quote-unquote extremists <laughs> based on their definition of it, not, not ours, theirs. So the fear of the believer would be you might be labeled as an extremist. Here's what I do know, that clinging to the truth that Jesus is more powerful than any of it and literally knowing that, and I mean heartfelt knowing, there's a difference between knowing about it and knowing it. I mean, clinging to the truth that Jesus is more powerful than anything. How would that actually change us, you and I? I'm not talking about how it should change us. How would it change us? If we truly believe that, how would it change our life? How would it change our prayer life? How would it change our daily life? How would it change our schedule? How would we get prepared? What would our preparation look like knowing that we're at war? What would it mean for someone to stop just playing at it and go all out warrior for Christ? No concern for the consequences of that decision. No apologies. No worries about being labeled as an extremist. Just trusting Jesus with all of it. And we've got kids who are praying the prayer, God, use me. What would that look like in real time for you and me right now for us if we stopped right just for a second and said, God, use me? Is that even possible? I just wonder how you can hate something like this so much and see the devastation of the evil behind all of it and call out for someone else to fight it if you won't. And this is where it gets real. This is where the call to prayer actually gets real. The question would be, would you actually enter into a time of prayer and fasting over the war and the battle? What would that actually look like? Let me, let me just ask you this. If the Spirit of God swept across the nation because you got real, I mean literally a patriot for Christ, because you got real. If the Spirit of God swept across the nation because you got real, then it was your life and your prayer that God chose to answer and your faith that changed it all and turned the tide that is happening right now. What if it was you? Well, Scott, what in the world are you talking about? 
Are you talking revival? I'm talking war. I'm talking the enlistment of true prayer warriors. Warriors that don't back down. Warriors that stick with the call. Not just truth seekers, but truth warriors who will never settle with the word of God being silenced or changed or undermined. I'm talking about warriors of faith who know that Jesus is the victor and that there is not one thing more powerful than him. Warriors that cling to the truth that the Holy Spirit will always win. I'm talking about warriors that will enter the battle with shiny breastplates of righteousness and gleaming shields of faith that will remain in place but become dingy and dented and pitted from the scars of battle but never pierced. Warriors whose swords of the Spirit yield such an impact that the evil that has clung to the core of men and women is separated from them down to the depths of the marrow of their bones. Warriors whose feet continuously move forward with the power of the gospel. And warriors whose helmets of salvation have been pounded in their places time and time again by doctrines of darkness that have been sung and preached at them endlessly. But their minds remain intact, protected by the promise of salvation in Jesus. Well, good grief. You're, you actually are talking extremist here. Yes, you bet. I sure am. I'm talking about spiritual extremists sold out to truth, sold out to Jesus, who aren't, to be, who aren't afraid at all to be called it or pay the consequences for it. Yeah, I'm talking about men and women who will sign over their lives with a pen dipped in the blood of Jesus because their souls are covered and saturated in it. Any patriots left like this? Are there any? Is there one? Is it me? Is it you? Is that even a fair question to ask? One thing I do know is the men that came before us, they stepped up just like that. And they could not rest until the battle was won. And they would be free. And their nation would be free. And their posterity would be free. The greatest strength that they had was the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus and the Word of God that they clung to. That is why this nation is what it is. My question is, who are you? You're listening to Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth. I'm Scott Cates, your host. That brings me to this question. What about you? Just like the Patriots stepped up and the blood that was shed before us, you ready to sign your name? to enlist with your pen dipped in the blood of Jesus because your soul has been saturated in it and your heart has been covered in it. If that's you today, would you even pray the prayer? 
God, use me. Maybe you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you don't, today there's something in the way. Your sins are in the way between you and God if you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and become Lord over your life. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the first requirement. Lord, I got an issue between you and me. It's sin. No one can remove that from me but you. And so today, I come to you and say, I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me of those sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow? I now submit to you because you're in charge. You are Lord over me today. I believe that the work that you did on the cross was complete. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for taking me to heaven when I die. Now, God, use me. We live in a great nation. I believe the greatest nation in the world because of the fact that it was founded on the word of God with men who were filled with the Spirit of God, who penned out the documents that they did and established and framed a government based on the Word of God and the governing, it governing the hearts of men. Still the greatest nation. Let me ask you this. Who governs your heart? Is your posterity, your children and your grandchildren, their hearts governed by Jesus? Do they even know him? I encourage you, I encourage you today that if you're not walking with Christ or it's been a while since you have, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to find a place that you can attend a house of worship. You can attend and get into that house of worship and literally begin to serve God and begin to take advantage of the freedom that we have in this nation in Christ. Well, I thank you for listening today. I'll see you next Monday. I want you to know that I'm praying for God to transition our nation once again. Thank you for listening. I'm Scott Cates, your host. This has been Grounded, the place to hear the salty truth. And I'll see you next Monday.